All right, welcome to the running mullet. Killian Korth from Colorado, Grand Junction, Colorado, correct? That's correct. You still, still live there? Yep. Nice. Thank you for joining us. Um, I don't Thanks know. For having if, me. You bet. I don't know if you've looked at any of the episodes or what we do, but it's basically just a fun show podcast that uh, Grace and I started um, basically to just uh, talk about every aspect of racing and running from the front of the pack all the way to the back. Hence the the, the mullet idea, business, yeah. business up front, party in the back. I keep arguing. I think we have a lot of fun in the front, but it's a different kind of fun too. It is a different kind of fun for sure. Yeah. So I guess a quick backstory for, for you and me. I mean, I we met, I think we I first met you at the registration at Ure 100, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And you were, I think one of the first things I asked you was what your plan was for, for Ure. And you said, well, it's to win or something along those lines. I thought, oh, great. I meet one person and it's the guy going for the win. Not that I was out there necessarily going for the win. It was kind of the new territory for me being in mountains like that. But, uh, and then we got to run together for a few miles before you turned on your jets at the beginning of the race there. Going yeah, up the road. Most definitely. Ure was a good race. That's, that is a, one of the hardest hundreds in the world, at least if on trail hundreds. Got to be. What was your, I never talked to you after that race. I mean, what was your overall <clears throat> experience with that? I mean, you did good. I know you didn't get first, but. Yeah, I came third, finished in 34 hours. Like right after we separated at the beginning, I like started struggling really bad. Like my first 30 miles, I like puked twice. I like couldn't keep any food down for some reason. So like something went wrong in the first 30 miles. But then after that, things looked up for like another 40 miles. I felt pretty good. But then excuse me, the first 30 kind of caught up with me towards the end. And it was like a pretty long trudge to the finish from going to Twin Peaks, which I think is like mile 70 something. Yeah. Uh, so the last 25 miles or so were, uh, you know, pain cave, but overall it was a, it was a good result for me for sure. Yeah. It's pretty fast for anyway. It's, it's, it's a good race. It's a hard race. My first, yeah. 30, my first 30 were also, uh, pretty horrible. I, I don't know. I was pretty much, I wanted to be done at, at mile 30 before that loop section. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I wasn't, maybe it was the elevation got to me. Um, but, uh, my legs were just, I had nothing in them. And my, my way, I spent an hour in the car trying to, trying to talk her into why I needed to stop and she wouldn't let me. And I'm glad I didn't, it, things totally. turned around and I, you know, the rest, it, it was an amazing, beautiful race. Um, yeah, well, that's an example. I had a similar uh, situation at Cocodona with just like crew convincing you to keep going. It's like you, you need those people around for sure. Dude, I'm getting in a horrible habit of it. I, I'm I'm weak-willed or something, but it's, <laughs> it's like every long – I just did 100 this past weekend, and if she wasn't there, I would have DNF'd. Yeah. I don't know. I got I to gotta work on it, I guess. It comes with, with – uh, doing more rent running races, I guess, but it's, it's, it's amazing how your devil, the devil gets in your head. hundred percent. It just sneaks in there. And then all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> there's the negative train of thought catches you and you can't get out of it. No. Cause it all makes perfect sense inside your head. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. And then you're, then you're reminded like, wait for, for like me for Coca Donut, it was like, okay, so you DNF to this in 2022 and you trained for this for a year. Like, yeah get get over yourself and do the last 22 miles like god damn 
All right, so let's get in. Let's get to Cocodona while you're here. Yeah. The reason I wanted to talk to you was because I had seen a. I was I followed the beginning of Cocodona, and um, I had a friend do it last year. Wrote a smoker. She completed it, and a guy went out this year from near near around our uh, one of my one of my friends. But anyway, I saw a, a video on Facebook during the race, and it, it was a video of you running along, and they're interviewing you, and. Um, Actually, that, that's what they said. They said, you're in first place, and uh, are you surprised? And your answer was no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember I, that. Yeah. Because I was like, that's kind of a strange question to ask somebody. Like, yeah. are you surprised you're in first place? Like, I don't know what I was supposed to say at that point. I was like, no, like, <laughs> this is the whole plan. <laughs> no, that's a great answer. I mean, there's no reason to, to beat around the bush either. Like, yeah. yeah, of course, you, that, you train for it. You are a front of the pack runner from everything I've seen and, you know, your results and you're pretty young in the ultra scene, especially for, you know, the longer stuff, in my opinion, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you know, you have a lot of years ahead of you still, but um, definitely a name to, to keep on the radar for sure. But anyway, so you, you DNF'd Cocodona last year. Yeah. In 2022, I tore my hamstring going into Jerome, which is basically the half halfway point. Okay. I actually tore it like, 27 miles before that and then it didn't hurt as bad as you know you might expect and so i like kept running and then after uh, some ibuprofen wore off it was really bad so it took you know a long time to get down to jerome and then that was a a good like three months of doing three months of literally doing nothing like not even biking and stuff and then it was another six weeks of biking before i could run so it was, a, it was a long recovery for sure and that was my my first dnf which was a real bummer at the time were you, I don't, I didn't, don't recall following that either last year. Were you leading at, for a while that one? I, I wasn't leading in that one. I was in fourth place, I think, when I ended up DNFing. Okay. So, I mean, that's a, that's a DNF you really can't do much about though. No. Yeah. It was not one of the ones, it wasn't a DNF where I like decided, like I gave up, you know, it was mm -hmm. one where I, I couldn't walk. So there was no real <laughs> option. <laughs> yeah. And then from what I saw in your results, you did have one, one long race in between then and now. This yeah, I did the, the DC Peaks 50, which is a, a cool 50-mile race um, outside of Salt Lake City. Um, it was, yeah, and I won that race, actually, so that was cool. But it was the first time I'd ever trained to do an actual fast 50. And, man, mm -hmm. doing, like, a fast, shorter race is so hard. <laughs> yes. You, I, you know, you want to slow down and enjoy a view or something, and you can't. You just have to keep running fast. Like the 200s, you can just go slow. Right. Go slow in relation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, Coconona comes around this year. You were in first place until mile what? 220. I For the first 100 or so miles, I was kind of flip-flopping with uh, Mike Versteeg, who, had won, who won the race its inaugural year. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he got to mile 100-ish before I did. And then we got to uh, Mount Mingus, which I think is mile 118. We got there together. And then after that, he took uh, a nap. And so I was in the lead for about 100 miles straight after that, just by myself. What was your sleep strategy like for this 200? I got to ask that because I've done, I did Tahoe 200 and mm -hmm. I really didn't have a strategy. My strategy was to go until I was so tired that when I lay down, I sleep instead of thinking about stuff. Yeah. You know? Cause I'm a light sleeper. Was it? Well, yeah. I it didn't, it really kind of, I, I gotta say a little black backfired for me for Tahoe because 
I lost my shit basically. My brain shut down and yeah. you know, long story short, I just I had no idea where I was and stuff went haywire. And I finally made it to my aid station with a minivan with my wife and, and took a 45 minute cat nap, woke up fresh as a daisy and finished the race with a smile. Mm -hmm. But I lost I probably lost a lot of time in that dead death walk to the the van and stuff like that. Hundred um, percent. Yeah. I I, so, I get that. I'm signed up for uh, the Dark Divide in Canada in September. So the sleep strategy obviously is big on my mind. I kind of want to work on it better, but I'm just curious. You said you were pretty much the same, didn't have one, just sleep when you felt like yeah, it. Yeah, that was my plan was sleep when I felt like it. Because um, you hear about people laying down and not sleeping, you know, and mm -hmm. that sounds awful. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, if, so I slept for the first time at mile 140. Um, somewhere around there, like 36 hours, some, maybe, maybe a little less than that into the race. Um, and I slept for about 30 minutes then. And then I took a couple dirt naps, uh, approaching mile 180, just excuse me for like 10 minutes. And then at mile 180, I took another 30 minute nap and, uh, sleeping in, I mean, the rest you get when you actually get to sleep in a crew vehicle rather than taking the dirt nap is so much better, you know? So it is like, even though I laid there for a little bit in the car thinking like, wow, I could be, you know, half a mile down the trail right now and then fell asleep. It's like, I do think it was worth it to spend the time actually on a soft mattress rather than sleeping on the dirt just because it, it made a more of a difference. Um, and then ideally, like the, the last 30 minute sleep I took at Schnebly, which was mile 180, I was hoping that would be my last sleep of the whole race. But uh that turned out not to be the case since things went wrong around mile 220. Um, I ended up sleeping for like five hours at uh, Walnut Canyon aid station, which is the last one. I think it's 22 miles to go. So it's mile 128 or something like that. And uh, yeah, so after, uh, you know, the race took the downturn for me, I ended up sleeping much more than I would have expected to at the beginning. But I think when I do, I'm doing Bigfoot this year and, uh, for Bigfoot, I'm going to try to sleep a little bit sooner. I want to bank a little bit of sleep the first night and not just like go until you can't stay awake anymore. Because I do think if you just like, it's, it's one of those things where it'll feel like wasting time, but you're actually buying yourself time later in the race, you know? So um, I, I think that's my plan for Bigfoot. Well, that's really, really good to hear on my end because that that's exactly what I'm thinking. And the reason yeah. is the reason I'm thinking that myself also is because there was at least one part. There was, I think, more than one runner that slept, I want to say, for three to four hours the first night of Tahoe. And the first night, and that seems weird to me because we're, you know, yeah. I don't know about you, but I can easily go through a night, a hundred miler, go through the night without having to sleep. I don't feel totally. tired. I'm good. But they slept, and I was like, what are you stopping here for? Like, we're just getting started here. And anyway, they ended up beating me. Mm -hmm. You know, I ran through the night, ran the following day, tried to take those dirt naps, like you're saying, got frustrated a lot of the time. But I slowed down so much because of fatigue and everything, and they're, like you're saying, they're fresher. So that is my plan also going into this dark divide is – whether I sleep or not, I guess I'm going to rest that body force, yeah. rest, force rest body. Um, in the yeah, I think for the first night I'll aim at for like 30 minutes, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know. It, it, and just like you just said, if it's forced rest and you're just laying down and you, you, even if you can just like kind of 
meditate a little and like shut off the brain, even if you don't go fully unconscious, I feel like you just are doing something good for yourself later on. You know, you got to play the game of like, all right, I'm going to be out here for 45 to 55 hours, depending on yeah. <laughs> what you're doing. I mean, that's what I, I don't know about you, but that's one thing that just that I love about the 200 mile idea, 200 mile plus idea is that sleep is a strategy. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, some people have to sleep in a hundred miler. I get that. <clears throat> um, but most of the front of the Packers are not sleeping in a hundred miler. And, but to have that as a strategy, it really intrigues me. And it, it, the best part about it, the coolest thing about it to me is that everybody has different sleep patterns and, and, uh, what they need, what you need, it might be totally different than what I need. And if we, you don't know it exactly, mm -hmm. for, then it could mess up your whole race. So it's really, yeah, throws a wrench into the race aspect of, of these races. Yeah. It's a completely different variable. Like it's, it strategy is the right word for it. Cause it really is like, if it's like nutrition, you have to figure it out for yourself. Like mm -hmm. it's not going to be the same runner to runner. Right. All right, so let's. You might as well walk, try to walk me through uh, Cocodona a little bit, if you could. What happened? What sure. what went good? What and then what happened when it all went to hell? Yeah. So uh, start of the race felt amazing um, for you know a long time. Like uh, the first thirty-seven miles of the race uh, is the hottest, and you climb ten thousand feet in that first thirty-seven miles. So I love climbing, um, and that felt pretty easy to me. The heat didn't bother me at all. I uh, train in the sauna a lot, so that's like the one thing I would recommend if you have access to a sauna and someone wants to do heat training. That it, like I did nothing else besides you know challenge yourself in there. So that worked out really well. Um, for about a hundred miles, like I said, I was switching off with uh, Mike Versteeg in the to who had the lead. We came into mile seventy-five or so within seconds of each other. So, uh, that was nice. And like I said, he had won the race before, so he was giving me all kinds of advice, <laughs> which right. was nice. Um, and so everything was going according to plan. I, uh, picked up a pacer at halfway. Uh, I was running downhill on this road at halfway and I looked at my watch and I was running nine thirties at mile one twenty five, which felt pretty cool. Um, <laughs> so I was cruising in and, uh, picking up a pacer, you know, is always a, a morale boost. And especially in a really long race when you're just by yourself for a long time. So like just having someone to talk to is nice. Slept for the first time at mile 140. And at this point is when I kind of started to struggle. I was having some uh, foot problems. I made the mistake of not washing my feet at mile 37 at the first aid station. So I developed a pretty good blister on my left big toe. But I uh, got that taped up and feet were feeling better um, at the same time that I slept. And then one of my favorite sections of the race was at night going through Sedona. I felt so good, but looking back, this is when the like lung problems actually started. It wasn't bothering me at this point so much that I had slowed down, but I was having some wheezing and I just kind of noticed that I was struggling to take full breaths, but I was like, okay, I, it's, it's not doing anything adverse to me yet. Like my pace hadn't slowed. I didn't feel extra tired because of it. And then when I actually descended off the ridges around Sedona, it just totally went away. So, uh, looking back, you know, that was the first moment that should have been a warning. And maybe if I had done something at that point in time later on in the race, I wouldn't have had such serious issues. But, uh, after Sedona, there's a big climb up Kasner Canyon <clears throat> going on to the, uh, Coconino Plateau. And that big climb, I went through a nice low 
at the exact wrong time. God, it was like, it was really steep. It was URA level steep, you know, climbing a thousand feet per mile in the middle of the night. And uh, the first flat spot that wasn't not rocky, I was sleeping. I just took a dirt nap and on, on rocks, you know, cause I was so tired. And then I uh, got to the, on top of the plateau and you're on these flat dirt roads for six or so miles, but I could like barely run, you know, I was barely moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like when I eventually do that race again, I'll want to get to my, one of my goals will just be to get to the top of Kasner Canyon, able to run the flat sections. You know, it's like, you don't really know how the course is going to affect you until you're on it. And now that I've like done it, it's like, you can go back and look at some more strategic decisions that could be made. Right. Um, but got to my 180, slept again, switched pacers and then started feeling well. And, uh, for the next, you know, 25 miles, I was doing, doing great. Uh, I was still in the lead. I was getting caught by Mike McKnight cause he was on a tear, you know, I mean, he negative sp- split that race basically which yeah. is totally insane. Um, but I was still moving pretty well. And then, uh, like I, going to Walnut Canyon. So somewhere between mile 210 and 215, my uh, pacer kept telling me, he's like, you are going to get caught. If you were, you're going this pace, you like, you will lose the race. Like you need to find the next gear, you know? And, uh, I was like literally doing some searching around, like in my brain, you know, you're like, there's, there is a gear because there's always more to give. But I was like, I can't find it. I kept saying that I was like, I can't find the next gear. And then all of a sudden, like, I just could run again. I could, I could run faster. I I went from moving at 14, 15 minute miles to moving at 11 and 12 minute miles on the same terrain. Mm -hmm. But as I started to speed up, the wheezing came back much worse. And then I started going up a climb, which I was really excited about because we'd been on flats forever. And you know, the running muscles were really tired. And so I started charging up this climb and then all of a sudden I was super lightheaded, like almost like felt like I was about to pass out. I thought I, I, I didn't know what I thought was going on necessarily, but I figured this is like the description of an asthma attack. You know, I hadn't mm-hmm. had asthma since I was a kid, but uh, I just assumed that something like that was happening. And that was around mile 220. And then uh, after that, the next eight miles to the aid station was, you know, the death march. But uh, it was enforced because I couldn't go fast. I couldn't. Otherwise, I like my breathing and my heart rate couldn't keep up with each other. So I was, you know, forced to walk pretty slowly, probably two between two and three miles an hour for eight miles to the aid station. I, uh, you know, kind of went through a similar experience that you were talking about with sleep deprivation, where I just kind of lost my mind, like complete mental breakdown. I thought I was going to DNF. So I was like crying and just so upset, you know, and like in these big races, you get so strung out, you're so tired and you've put so much into it that the thought of failing two years in a row after leading the race for a hundred miles, like, I, uh, I'm not super proud of the way that I handled those eight miles, but I'm like pretty forgiving in that, you know, that was a pretty, uh, it's like yeah. a serious disappointment yeah. right. <laughs> that was occurring. So I, I ended up getting to the aid station in the middle of the night and, uh, you know, I was <laughs> like whimpering as I arrived and, uh, taken into the medical tent and got uh, a nebulizer treatment, which is, you know, like a five to 10 minute long inhaler basically. And then took prednisone, which is a steroid um, that does something to your lungs. And so my oxygen saturation when I arrived at the aid station was in the low 80%. And then when I uh, went to sleep, it was back up in the 90s. So definitely had improved. Slept for five hours, got passed by a bunch of people, obviously. 
woke up and then ate breakfast and continued on for the last 22 miles and ended up finishing 11th. So uh, ultimately, you know, was a success story in the fact that like overcoming some like legitimately serious adversity. But uh, when I was going into the aid station, I was totally convinced I was going to DNF, you know, as my wife is waking me up in the morning to potentially restart. I'm just like, God, I can't do this. Like, I don't want to do this. And she's just like coaxing me out of the car and getting me to, you know, sit in a lawn chair and actually drink a cup of coffee and eat breakfast and do the things that needed to be done to get started. And, you know, in that process, I started to feel much better. So the last 22 miles actually felt pretty good, but, uh, it was post-race that things really went downhill. Um, I finished and then, you know, I don't know if you have the same thing, but after races, like I can't really eat. Like I really want to eat. I want to be able to like go enjoy a meal, but my appetite's really bad. So hmm. I went, sat in a hot tub for a little bit at our hotel and then laid down to go to bed. But as I'm trying to fall asleep, I like can't take full breaths. I'm coughing up phlegm, like bloody phlegm and stuff. And so early the next morning, so this would be Friday. Um, I, uh, we went to the ER and when I got to the ER, my oxygen saturation was 72%. <laughs> So really low. I had a headache. My vision was blurry. And so uh, they put me on this mask that's like the step below a ventilator. So it's not breathing for you, but it's uh, shoving air into your lungs to get fluid out. Right. And so they did a bunch, tons of tests on me. You know, I like they took some of like my bloody phlegm and tested that. And so that's how I found out that I had a uh, pneumonia. And so what the doctor thinks happened is that I had this form of pneumonia called walking pneumonia at the beginning of the race, because typically you're not going to get a bacterial infection, you know, day one of the race and then have it progress so significantly that, uh, you know, it's doing this much harm to you in two days. So he's, he thinks that I had walking pneumonia, which is really mild. And most people don't even know they have it when, before they get over it. But, uh, obviously running 250 miles in the desert and breathing in dust probably, uh, made that much worse. So then I developed pulmonary edema where fluid and blood is building up in your lungs and then on top of that, because I was running with diseased lungs, the uh, right side of your heart, which is the side that pumps blood through the lungs, like my right side of my heart became inflamed. And so I was having some significant <laughs> problems. I spent a night in the ICU in Flagstaff, but uh, ultimately recovered pretty quickly. It was off oxygen the next day and discharged, which uh, the doctor said was a, a very swift recovery. So um, yeah, that's that's the, the Cocodona story. <laughs> So you just you're you're badass luck. You just they're saying you happen to just be getting pneumonia. Or it was in your system when you started that race. Yeah, <laughs> boy, that's that's hard to believe. I know what a what a bummer. Like can't control for those that type of variable. You know. No. Well, so still, like you said, you still you still came back and got eleventh. I mean, come yeah. on. Could be that's, worse. That's what's incredible about a race like that. And it's it's hard for me to, at least when I'm doing the longer stuff, to uh, get it through my head. But, like, like you want to panic. And the, that's what I'm thinking about being in first for a 200-miler. Okay, I have a hard time sleeping as it is, let alone knowing that you could be losing first place if you sleep too long or something like that. Like, that makes it even worse. I don't know how. I don't know. I need to practice more. <laughs> Yeah, the the pressure was it was interesting because while I was feeling kind of crummy in first place, you know, I'm in a low mm -hmm. and stuff. I was like, dang, I, I wish I was further ahead of these people. Like, um, there's only four miles separating me in second. Like, God, I'm in a, I'm in a race and I feel like garbage right now. 
But then, you know, when you get out of the lows and you're feeling better, it's a pretty cool feeling to be in a race. Like you're within four miles of the second place person after mile 200. Like that's kind of amazing. You know, a lot of 200s, I feel like someone gets way ahead and then nobody's going to catch them, you know? Right. Uh, It was cool to be. I mean, there were multiple people at any at at certain times who could have theoretically won the race, you know. So that was it was a cool experience in that regard. And I definitely I just wish that I had been able to actually like take part in the end race because I think, uh, man, thinking that I had pneumonia at the beginning, even if it was really mild, I think that it was obviously affecting me in negative ways throughout the race. You know, it's not I I think that I have a lot more to give in a 200 if I'm not starting it with this significant impediment that's only going to grow worse and worse and worse throughout the race, you know? So that it does suck thinking back about that, but, uh, I, I, I can't regret anything because no, yeah, ultimately it's like, I, I, I gave the best effort I could. And I think it took a while for me to actually feel this way. Cause I don't know if your brain does the same thing, but it's like, even if it's not in my control, my brain's just beating me up. Like you could have done better, you know, like you were in the lead for so long, you should have been tougher, blah, blah, blah. But that that I've managed to silence that voice because what I've actually taken away from the race is that I can be competitive in these 200s with the with you know Mike McKnight who's the best 200 miler in North America, like right. I was close to beating him in a in a race, and uh, so I I'm taken away from this that the things that I want in life like winning these races is actually possible you know whereas before this race that was just kind of a theory I had it was just like I believe in myself but do I actually know that I can do this. And now I do. So that's, it's a pretty positive thing to take away from, you know, the experience, even if it ended in a way that I would not wish to repeat. hundred percent. And I mean, that's why I wanted to talk to you. That's why I'm happy our paths crossed for the short time that they did. I, I hope we can keep in touch, you know, from here on out. You're, you're a cool dude. And I'm, I mean, I could tell you what kind of runner you were at Ure. It's like, well, holy <laughs> shit, this is some guy that I'm going to be watching for for a long time here. So it's, it is pretty neat. I mean, come on, man. You were leading for that long. Like, I don't know. I'd have a hard time uh, being happy with it too, but yeah, there's, there's no other way to be. <laughs> no, it's, it's just, it's like, I'm grateful to this like really aggressive part of my brain that kind of beats me down to some degree because I think a, it keeps me humble. And it's also the voice that's like the motivation voice. You know, when I wake up in the morning and I don't want to go for a run, it's like, Hey, get your, get your ass out of bed. Let's go. So I'm grateful to it, but there are times when like, it's not right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's wrong about things. So it's like, you have to find the balance between, you know, the like David Goggins level of like aggressive motivation and then actually being kind to yourself, you know? Exactly. Uh, question for you. So you got, after you were, after you spent the five hours sleeping and your, your wife finally got your butt up and moving. Obviously, you you said you were passed by several people. Let's just call it several people while you were mm-hmm. sleeping that five hours. Um, how did you pass people when you got moving again, or was that that were you in eleventh place and you held that for the next thirty miles to the finish? Type so of I actually got passed. I was in tenth and I got passed like three miles to go. But I mean, at that point, I just I didn't have any energy to actually race. You know, I was just out there. I was gonna finish, and I was just kind of enjoying myself. Like, might as well just do what I can to get to the finish. And, you know, like <clears throat> I was really depleted at that point, not just cause I had run already run 220 plus miles, but like in the long March to the aid station when I was really suffering, uh, I had, you know, totally forgot to eat. 
Like right. I, so I, I ate breakfast and stuff, but there was obviously like some, some payment occurring because of my like lack of foresight <laughs> in the, in those eight miles. You know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> you know, th th this past weekend when I, I just had a hundred miler and my legs were empty very early on, I, I honestly thought it was the same, con not pneumonia, but I thought for sure that I'd gotten, I was getting sick and didn't know it. That was the mm -hmm. only answer I had for feeling the way I did. It wasn't, it wasn't just a low and I like, cause yeah. I, I know what that's like. I, I do. And I'm a pain in the butt when I'm on a low too. I'm a little <laughs> whiny baby, but this was, this was, I don't know. I still haven't figured it out because my legs came back to me. Um, but I still don't understand what it was. Maybe it just, I wasn't eating or drinking enough. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it just sometimes it happens. Like I've done, I did uh, the Cocopelli Trail over the course of two days a few years ago, and it was like a seventy-mile day and then a sixty-five-mile day. And uh, the seventy-mile day, I didn't feel good until mile fifty, and then all mm -hmm. of a sudden I started having fun. And I think so much of it's mental. It's just like it's really easy to just get trapped in the cycles of being like, "Why am I doing this? Like, what? What is like? Why am I out here? This is silly. <laughs> Man, it's a good thing my wife isn't sitting here listening to you because that's exactly what she blames mine on. It's she thinks it's all mental, and it might be. It's just it's hard for me to believe that it's all mental when there's I'm I'm depleted to a walk here, and it, I yeah. shouldn't be walking. I don't understand. But, I gotcha. I mean, it, who knows? Like you know, maybe you had a little bug, and yeah. uh, running the first however many miles you felt bad maybe that, you know, excised it through your system and then it was good again. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's difficult to know, but all of these experiences wherein you struggle more than you thought you would are ultimately good for the long term. You know, it's like you learn things about yourself going through the serious lows. Amen. So Bigfoot, when did you sign up for Bigfoot? Bigfoot I signed up for actually the same. I I'd planned to do Bigfoot the year that I tore my hamstring for in Cocodona. Um, and so then I deferred my uh, entry to this year. So I oh. had originally signed up for it in 20, like in 2021 to do in 2022. Nice. Yeah. So what's your plan going into that? I mean, to win, you know, that's going to be no. the plan for sure. I would like to, uh, I want to break the course record is the goal, but the course record is fast, man. It's uh 209 miles and the course record is McKnight's and it's uh 51 hours and it's like 209 miles with 46,000 feet of climbing. So it's like, I mean, it's basically doing two, two 24-hour 100s, each with 22 and a half, 23,000 feet of climbing. So uh, it's Ooh. that's an ambitious goal for sure. But I'm going to be training in your race. So uh, I've got a good spot to uh, oh. to go get the climbing and the elevation in for sure. That's incredible. Good for you. Well, I'll definitely be following that one a lot more than I was following Cocodona. Yeah, they don't – it's too bad that other races don't do some kind of live stream like that because, like you were saying earlier, they do such a great job of promoting Cocodona. You yes. know, other races should take note because, like, during the race, uh, I'd be at an aid station and my wife would be like, wow, my, my like, aunts and uncles who have nothing to do with the sport of ultra running are, like, glued to the, to the live stream. You know, yeah. it's actually a way to grow the sport in a way that's not uh, – that's, like, totally genuine. So uh, I think more races should be doing that. And it's, it's year round too. Like for, they make you want to do the race just from yeah. their, their advertising. They it's whoever's doing it. They do a heck of a job. I say that all the time. Yeah. They just don't show the, uh, 
there's one section called Fane Ranch, which is actually where I tore my hamstring when I first attempted it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like an off-trail cross-country section through these horrible, horrible desert fields that have all these hidden cacti and stuff, and they never show that section. <laughs> <laughs> because it's the worst. It's like the worst section of any race I've ever done. It sucks so much. But, uh, you know, it's good. It's almost good that you have those sections. It's like, it's like yeah. a little test. And it's also funny because it's it's like the flattest part of the race that's totally not runnable. So you like you're not climbing or anything. You feel like you should be running, but you're in this uneven, terrible field where if you actually try to run, you're gonna kick a cactus and you know, then you're gonna have to spend time digging those needles out of your foot. Right. Yeah, I did see the one video of whoever it was popping the blister on your toe. That was that yep. was a good one. That was a legit blister. Yeah, that the 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 top of the toe blister was just from yeah. slamming my toe into several several rocks you know god and by the end when you do that it just hurts so bad <laughs> so it, it's on your list for a third try i you said right for Go sure yeah um so next year 2024 i signed up for the triple crown of 200s so i'm gonna oh, do um yeah. tahoe bigfoot and moab uh i would do I would have done Cocodona next year, um, except for one of my crew members, the uh, the, uh, the lady who uh, was popping my blister. Her name's Amber. She's awesome. Um, but she's doing the Sedona Canyons 125 next year. So uh, I'm going to crew for her. I, I, and that's obviously the, at the same time as Cocodona. Right. And that'll be her first 100. So I'm going to crew and pace for her. You know, I always... I feel like almost all ultra runners are all about, you know, paying back those, those dues. It's like these people come out here and they stay up all night and they touch your gross feet. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah I, I want to do that for other people for sure. The the longer distance is definitely your jam, huh? Like that's where you see yourself staying. Yeah, that is where I see myself staying. It's like, I, I don't think I'm particularly fast and, in a, in an elite sense, you know, like I'm not going to be competitive at a hundred that, you know, I'm not going to be competitive at Western States. Let's just go, go with that. Um, but I do think like, what is my biggest strength is the ability to just keep moving and keep moving typically relatively quickly. Cause even in Cocodona until that I had that, like the low brought on by, you know, (laughs) fluid in the lungs. Um, I was moving well, you know, even through my lows, I had managed to just like be going a little faster than your neutral pace. So I think that that's my strength is the ability to keep going. So I see myself doing some 200s, like I said, triple crown next year. And then in 2025, uh, it's a long ways away, obviously, but planning ahead, it's like I'd like to do Cocodona and then I'd want to do a a longer FKT attempt um, in the fall of that year. So I, I definitely want to get to doing more multi-day stuff. You know, I'd like to attempt the Colorado trail, the Arizona trail, and then ultimately, you know, later into my career career, um, I want to do stuff like the Appalachian trail and the PCT and the CDT, like long trail FKTs are the thing that intrigues me the most about this sport. And, uh, that's what like gives me the most enthusiasm, you know, moving forward. Yeah, it it excites me probably the most too with the long FKTs. It's for me, it's just not gonna ever. It's not fitting in my life right now. But I wish it was because yeah. I don't know. There's something about them that intrigued me. It's it's difficult. I mean, yeah, it's like you're 45 to 50 days. You know, you've got to set yeah. aside, and then <laughs> however much time after that it takes to actually be able to be a normal person again. 
yeah probably some amount of weeks like yeah it's difficult but i uh i'm hoping that um at some point in the future i've i've got a coaching business so that's like how i'd like to uh move forward and you know make money somehow from running it's like right. the sponsorship thing is kind of tough because ah, man I, like going for i don't want i before Coca-Dona, i hadn't been on instagram for a long time and i now i've been since I got some like actual attention, it's like, I feel like I've, I've got to promote myself a little bit more if I want the things that I want out of life. Right. But I do feel, I just would feel kind of gross being one of those people who's like only trying to sell you things on Instagram. And it's not saying like that those people are doing something wrong. It's just like, that's just not for me. So I get it. The, the path I like want to tread is, is to have people sign up for my coaching because they see the results that I'm getting being self-coached and they see the results of other athletes, you know? Mm -hmm. So hopefully that is the way forward for me. Nice. Well, I wish you luck with that. Have you get, have you, uh, considered like going <clears throat> overseas to the tour, tour to John's or whatever? Oh yeah. That's, that's on, on, that is definitely something I'd love to do. That race statistically is so insane because it's basically your Ray back to back. Like, yeah 206 miles eighty-four thousand feet of climbing that's insane it is yeah. hard to fathom which is yeah it's crazy i uh ure is the race that it took me the longest to recover from including cocodona like really? i uh i don't know it, I, I was just destroyed at the end and mm -hmm. perhaps it, like it, it had probably has something to do like i was really dehydrated when i finished but like the downhills dude after a long time it's like going down that steeply just is so uh destructive <laughs> yeah i'm sure yeah i like i couldn't walk downstairs normally for like, two weeks or something like that it was it was, a, <laughs> it was a significant recovery time yeah it was pretty insane all right man uh so i guess that's i, I think that's all i have for you um i appreciate your time yeah of and course i'm definitely going to be following keep me posted on uh, i guess I, i'll i'll stay posted on bigfoot as best as i can and then Cocodona two years from now, all right? Cocodona two years from now, and then Triple Crown in 2024, so. Yeah, yeah like 200s are your thing, but you're going to have to just keep repeating after a while because there's not enough of them. There's not enough of them, but that's when the FKTs become a thing, right? True. It's like there's yeah. enough there's enough long trails out there that you won't have to repeat too many. And, I mean, if you do a long trail FKT, that's probably all you're doing that one year. <laughs> True. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Man, I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask something, and I totally forgot it. But uh, mm. yeah, it was great talking with you. Yeah, you too, man. Keep in touch, and uh, again, appreciate you coming on. Hey, listen, you're like our one West Coast dude right now. So anybody you anybody you talk to, mention, if they're looking for a podcast, just mention the Running Mullet, man. We'll idiot idiot runner, runner stuff. Yeah, like tell them that there's a website, idiotrunner.com. Yeah, I wear your hat. Uh, well, it's, it's one of my running hats. So nice. I'll have to get you another one. We have a couple colors in, um, can I just, uh, like, uh, plug my, my coaching website and Instagram. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So yeah, run tough coaching just spelled exactly how it sounds. Uh, my, uh, mantra during Cocodona was I am the task and I'm now selling, I am the task t-shirts and all of the proceeds go towards, uh, the against malaria foundation. So, uh, if you want to support a good cause and have a nice quality athletic t-shirt, 
Uh, you can find those on the website too. But yeah, runtoughcoaching.com. And then my Instagram, it's just the only social media that I'm at all active on is uh, Ultraman, And it's Killian with a one L there. But uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. It's like, like I said, great to catch up with you. And uh, yeah, hopefully our paths cross again at some point. Yeah, I mean, I'm going out to, you're not, you're not in Montana. I'm heading out there in July for Crazy Mountain Ultra. Nice. Yeah, obviously, yeah. if you're ever uh, in the the western Colorado, eastern Utah area, send me a message. It'd be great to get some miles in together that were just fun. Yeah, I I will. I would love to take you up on that, dude. We after we got back from Ure, we pretty much started looking for houses out there. We're like, we we got to go back, but yeah, I can't afford anything out there. It's tough, man. Colorado's. <laughs> Very crazy. Yeah. yeah. My wife and I are in, in the midst of the search in Grand Junction and it's, it's, it is a challenge, no doubt. Whew, it's insane, but that's how much we loved it. And so I'll, I'll be back for sure. All right. Well, when our paths cross, it'll be, it'll be a pleasure. All right, dude. I look forward to following your journey. Thanks again. Thank you. See ya. Mm -hmm.